Welcome to the Nonprofit Exchange Podcast. Stories by leaders for leaders to help you raise the bar on your own excellence to release the potential inside of you. Now, here's today's podcast. Greetings, everyone. This is Hugh Ballou with a fresh episode of the Nonprofit Exchange. And, you know, we're always talking about leadership, but we're going to focus on leadership today. Nothing happens without leadership. And so I've got a, a gentleman that really I haven't met till just now, but I've known about him for many years because he writes a lot of good stuff. And it's always fascinating to see what he's going to blog about. And he's very, very consistent. And he's very consistently good. So Dan Rockwell, tell people about yourself and why is it you've chosen to do what you do? Well, uh, to tell you about myself, I'm a farm boy from Maine originally. I live in central Pennsylvania, but uh, I was brought up in central Maine and uh, I don't dairy farm. So that really is everything you need to know about me. You're always who you were when you were 13. And when I was 13, I was milking cows and going to school. So uh, I live uh, with my wife now in central Pennsylvania. Our three children are grown. We have six grandchildren. I'm excited about uh, uh, you know, life at this stage and, and giving back. So leadership, how did I get into leadership freak? Mostly because I, I thought I was good at leading, but I mostly sucked at leading most of the time. So I thought, well, and I got my MBA late in life. And so I, I got interested in organizational development and I started, you know, being interested in leadership and realizing that I really wasn't nearly as good at it as I thought I was. And so then I started writing and I made a commitment to myself to write five days a week. I had never written before. It wasn't like I was some sort of, you know, magical writer or anything, except for contracts and things like that. I had never written before, but I started writing. I said, I'm going to write five days a week. And um, if it gets traction, I'm going to keep going. That was 10 or 11 years ago. And I'm so thankful it re really worked. So what's with this title? leadership freak that really gets attention <laughs> well it, it originally it's about like sports freak you know you're you know you're freakishly interested in something that's where that comes from there's no great story i was doodling around at my desk one day thinking about what i would like to call you know a blog and that's that's what came up is being freakishly interested in leadership so um <laughs> i have um my background is is music conducting okay. and so the the article i refer to people people to on forbes is what does a conductor know about leadership and my answer is a conductor knows everything about leadership because <laughs> you drop that baton you got to know what you're doing <laughs> or else you've just you've just got a grand mess on your hands so w we live in a time where people um say oh i know about leadership and i think people that say i know everything about leadership are pretty dangerous you know, what's, what's one of the biggest, biggest blind spots that you think leaders have? Uh, that they're better than they are, think they are, or that, uh, that they're as good as they think they are. That's probably it. That people are telling them the truth. People are not telling them the truth. They're telling them what they want to hear. Um, uh, what are some of the, some of the, I, I sometimes think about the lies leaders believe, right? And, uh, uh, I guess one of them is that uh, we think we're better than we really are. 
and people are telling us the truth. So when people tell you, oh, I like you, you're so good. <laughs> we can't really believe it, but, but they, the attentions are sometimes good, but if you're in, in the culture of leadership in, in a corporate culture, or even in a church culture or um, an educational culture, there's this hierarchy. And I guess you learned about that when you studied your MBA, there's this hierarchy and we might not think we have the permission to speak directly. Is that part of the equation? I think it is part of the equation. I think in one sense uh, too, uh, we need to get over the idea that uh, hierarchy is, is always a bad thing. It's not always a bad thing. And there, there are leaders and there are people who have certain responsibilities that other people don't have responsibilities uh, the same. Uh, so it, it's, it's all right uh, to have that. But I think if there is permission to speak the truth, if that actually exists in an organization, then it is something that the leader has done. It's very unusual for people who follow a leader to not uh, you know, uh, listen to the cues that they're giving off. And sometimes leaders give off cues that I've made up my mind and I'm not interested in what you have to say. Uh, my way is the right way. And you know, a lot of people will just go along with that. And I think in church world, especially in, you know, some church traditions, you know, there's a strong uh, pastoral leadership model. This is a great challenge for leaders, right? Because on one hand, you want people to buy in, you want people to contribute their very best, you want to learn from them as well. And in a, in a strong hierarchical situation where you have strong pastoral leadership, people will do more head nodding and agreeing and then go out and execute. And, and they'll do that fine, but you won't necessarily get their best. And this, that's, I think, one of the great challenges in church world where there is strong pastoral leadership. Yeah, I think, I think um, there's, there's not enough time in seminary to study leadership. Um, they, so you have to sort of, we've inherited this autocratic model now, that what we teach in Center Vision is the transformational leadership model. It's about the vision. It's not about you, Bubba. It's about the vision, where you're going, and you, you really build. It's, it's a, the conductor model. You build high-performing teams. You build a, a culture that responds to the nuances. And really, you don't tell people what to do because they know what to do because they, they got the plan. So one of the deficits I find over and over, besides what you've identified, is that people don't have a really clear estimation of their own skill set and are not aware of their own blind spots, but they think they can just move forward, especially those of us who are entrepreneurs. We think we can just move forward because it's in our head and we kind of create a mess. So what, what's the, um, in your world, uh, what's the, the relationship of having, having a plan? I'm, I'm a recovering Scottish Presbyterian. Everything's decent and in order. We got to have a plan because a musician has a cult, has a very rigid plan. We're like programmers. We got rigid structure, but we've got to create, be creative within that tr structure. So what is your, your opinion on the deficits that not having this structure sets up for us as leaders? Well, let's uh, first of all, just say that vision without a plan is wandering in the wilderness, right? I mean, that's, you got to have a plan. You, you got to have a vision too. And I love that you, you preface this with like skill sets and gifts, and then you, you transition to you know, what's the plan? And I think these things go together, 
right? In other words, the farmer who has a barn full of racehorses might as well not hook them up to a plow. It doesn't matter what your plan is. A team of racehorses will not plow the field or vice versa. If you have a team of plow horses, you're not going to enter the Kentucky Derby. Well, you may enter the Kentucky Derby, but it's not going to go well for you. So when we think about plans, how do we plan? Part of the plan obviously is the vision, but another part of the plan is who are the horses we have in the barn? What are they like? What are their strengths? What are their gifts? I love when Paul writes to Timothy and he says, uh, fan in your gift, fan into flame, you know, your gift, fan that into flame, uh, is an awareness that, uh, you know, you can have all the plans you want, but if you're not aware of your strengths, if you're not aware of your gifts, if you're not leveraging them in service to the plan or in service to the vision, then uh, they seem to be squandered. Yes, yes. Yeah, um, Eva, I, I know what, how you think because I've, I've read your blogs. And so you probably don't know much about me, but I saw one, you, you mentioned um, 13 milking cows. Now you had a blog just recently, I believe, about um, seven things you learn when you step in crap and there's a, a cow pies make grass green. Talk about that a little bit. You have a lot of sevens and fives, you know, things that I can check off in my mind. So talk about this, this, this stepping in the, the piles. Well, uh, you know, I just was thinking about, uh, I'm going to bring that up, by the way, because uh, I, I don't want to say anything uh, too stupid or something that I didn't already say, you know what I'm saying? You know, I don't want to contradict my, actually, I don't mind contradicting myself, but uh, um, I wanted to write about uh, some of the tensions and the difficulties and the challenges uh, that we face. And so that's when I started thinking about stepping in, in cow pies or whatever. And then it just occurred to me, you know, that that's, I, you look out over a pasture and you see these green patches all over a pasture. And what are the green patches? Those are the places that uh, the cow has done their business. And that, unlike us, they don't mind doing their business in, in public. So I think, you know what I love? One of the lessons of stepping in cow crap is uh, you can, and you can spot these people who have done it well, you know, they've stepped in, they've stepped in it well, and that is they're kind, they're, they're compassionate, they're patient with others. And I think maybe with, with themselves as well, but you can always see somebody who has suffered well because they're merciful and they're kind. You can see somebody who hasn't suffered well, they get all ticked about stepping in the crap and they're angry and they're frustrated and they're pushy and they're complaining. So that was, uh, that was, uh, thanks for bringing that up. I appreciate you bringing it up. <laughs> yeah, I am. Um... Um, I, I do some, at least I used to do some live keynote speaking. Hope we go back to doing that again. And very often people um, would introduce me as an expert in leadership. Mm -hmm. And I would come on, I say, well, I'm actually a, a student of leadership, which is still true, but I don't shun it anymore because uh, at almost 75, I'm old enough to have made all the mistakes at least once or twice and smart enough that I've learned from some of them, uh, most of them. So that, that really gives you, I've gone to reclassifying those mistakes as learning opportunities. Um, and you and I have been around, been around a little bit. So talk about some of the learning experiences that are valuable 
to leaders leading and, and stuff we're talking about. We're talking to nonprofit leaders and clergy, but this is stuff that's applicable anywhere, isn't it? I think devaluing the power of listening is probably one of the big mistakes that leaders make, especially young leaders. And when I think about my leadership uh, in my youth, I was way too anxious to kind of craft everybody's uh, attitudes around what I wanted them to be. I was way too eager to, I was in convince mode. My job is to convince you that I'm right. And, uh, you know, that's a that's just a huge, a colossal waste of energy uh, and talent in the in the on the team or in the uh, in the organization as well. So I, I think one of the huge uh, uh, mistakes of young leaders in particular, at least ex young extroverted leaders would be that uh, talking is leading and no uh, leading includes listening, lots of listening. It's remarkable how many leaders think it's important to have all the right answers when really having the right questions and listening carefully to the answers is probably a lot more valuable. If we stop long enough to listen, you know, as a musician, we're trained to listen, but can we transfer those skills into a non-musical setting is the question. Can we transfer the skills we have into the current situation? So let me, let me run this one by you. I, um, I want to change my background image here. People, uh, people often assume that aren't uh, a conductor that the conductor is the dictator, and so that's an autocratic model. Do this, do this, do this. But but I say back, just because you got a little white stick, you got union musicians there, you really can't make them do anything, but you can influence them. So talk a little bit about influence in leadership, how we influence people both positively and negatively. Did you like my analogy, by the way? <laughs> I loved your analogy. So, uh, so if you, if you think that uh, leading is like dominating, if it's telling everybody, then mm -hmm. you never get the best from people. You get compliance, you get compliance from fearful people, you get compliance from sincere people who think, well, this is the way it's supposed to be. You get compliance, but compliance is never bringing, you know, getting the best, you know, where people are just, uh, you know, they're, they're showing up early, they're staying late, they're, they're giving their heart to uh, what's going on. So uh, I think making people do things, which by the way, you can do to some degree, right? You can get outward conformity. You pay somebody enough and they'll do what they're told. But uh, doing what, uh, that's a, getting people to do what they're told is not leadership, that's a dictatorship. So uh, when we think about uh, going beyond that, how do we get beyond that? And the first thing, a lot of things come to mind, but the first thing that comes to mind is modeling, modeling the way. You know, this just speaks back to uh, Kuzis and Posner in their book, The Leadership Challenge, where they have, uh, I think, the five functions of leadership or the seven functions of leadership. The first one is model the way. And, and so the leader who wants something beyond compliance is going to model the way. They're going to model things that uh, bring out the, their best and they're going to model things that bring out the best in others. I mean, you know, you could go back to listening as one of those one of those things as well. 
So that's, that is one of the basic tenets as I have defined transformational leadership and it fits very well with the conductor model. One of the great teachers of teachers of conductors says what they see is what you get. So based on what you said, modeling is really the culture is a reflection of the capacity and everything that the leader shows. I mean, we, we show, we can say whatever we want, but it's like your children, they're going to do what you do, not exactly what you say to do. So, so we do set, we do set the bar. We can set the bar higher. We can set it in a negative way. Can't we? I think we can, you know, by those behaviors like isolation, for example, you know, the leader who closes the door and isolates themselves. Uh, that, that's a, a negative modeling that, that says other people aren't important, that relationships aren't important. Uh, so yeah, we can definitely model bad behaviors, uh, do it all the time, right? And did it all the time as well. You, you say things that uh, take the, oh my, you say things that, you know, suck the life out of someone. You know, those, these, these ideas about uh, bringing out the best and, and, and uh, you know, kind of fueling people's fire versus, uh, you know, throwing cold water on them. Uh, that's, to me, the, the essence of being a successful leader. I, um, in my, my fourth book is um, an anthology of stories of transformational leaders. And um, I asked my friend Cal Turner for an interview, so I went to interview him. And he said, I, and, and then subsequently I had him on this, this series years ago. And um, this guy's a really faithful Methodist. He's got the Wesleys in his office. I actually met him at a job I was doing in a Methodist church in the Nashville area. And this, he's a man of faith and very clearly a leader. So he's on the show and he says, Hugh, I went to my, my team at Dollar General. And I said, my father founded this company. And I got this job because of my genes, this job as president and CEO. I don't have, the, you got the skills, but I got the vision and I'm the boss. He said, boss is double SOB backwards. It was right in the show. So, said, oh yes. And he said, worse, worse than that. I'm the son of a boss. And so he said, because he said, you got the skills, I got the vision. Everybody on his team stepped up. And then afterwards we were debriefing. He said, um, Hugh, leadership is about defining your skills and your gaps and finding very competent people to fill those gaps. He said, consequently, we went public and it was very successful and everybody benefited. And he said, if I had pretended that I had known everything, they would say, ah, I want to show him. So how many leaders have you met? There's this myth of having to have the right answers, but they bluff their way. So talk about bluffing rather than being sincere and being straightforward, transparent. Well, I asked uh, Mark Miller, what would he tell his younger self? Mark Miller is, uh, I think, VP of leadership at Chick-fil-A or something, leadership development. I forget what it, what it, high performance leaders, you know, they have big names. Anyway, I asked Mark, I said, what would you tell your younger self? And Mark said, I would tell my younger self, don't think you need all the answers. There's so much stress. So you got to walk around, you got to know so much. Um, so I recently had a conversation with uh, the former CEO of, of uh, Best Buy. And he, when he introduces himself, 
Yeah, you know, he, uh, Herbe Joulet is his name. He's a Frenchman. And uh, he, he says, uh, hello, you know, I'm Herbe and I need your help. Now that, that is powerful. That is powerful. It's, you, first of all, we all know you don't have it all together. <laughs> Everybody knows. And sometimes we know you're kind of pulling the answer out of your anatomy somewhere. You're like making something up. People know this. It's not like you're fooling anybody. So the, the better option is to courageously uh, just say, uh, wow, I, you know, that is a great question. Uh, I'm not sure of the answer. You might say, what do you think the answer is? Or you might say, who might know the answer to this? Or you might say, I'll get back to you. Let me do a little research. I'll get back to you and give you an option, uh, you know, or, or a thought about what the answer is. But this, uh, this idea that leaders have all the answers, I think what it does is, again, it, it sort of drains the life and energy out of people. If I think you're the answer person, then I don't have to worry about the answers. Uh, you, you can give me the answers. And but you can always tell these leaders, by the way, there is a path to their door, people coming for answers to their, in their, into their office. Everybody needs has a problem and they want the leader to solve it. And let me tell you why that path is there. That leader loves having the answers. They feel important. They feel like they're, you know, they just, they think like, oh, I'm a genius or whatever. So they, they train their people to walk to them. And then what happens at one point uh, later on is they're exhausted and they're like, can't anybody come up with a decision on their own? Well, guess who made that world? You know, the leader who needed to have all the answers made that world. So, um, that pretty much describes corporate America, doesn't it? We're feeding, we're feeding leaders into mid-management from MBA programs. And so you've got an MBA, MBA degree. It means you know everything about leadership, right? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> so I was visiting with a guy in a city which will remain nameless, working for a, an airline which will remain nameless but it's, it's abbreviations are united. And he's he uh, maintenance guy and he got a new MBA boss. And the guy says, hey, come into my office. He said, sit down, this is how we're gonna do things, open the manual. And my friend said, he said, what? He said, I wrote that manual. Oh, and so, so the fallacy of, of knowing it all, they don't know what goes on below them in the system, so they didn't work their way up. So what are some of the some of the typical blind spots that you see that leaders really need to be aware of? I think believing that the job is easier than it is is a is a real problem. So uh, you're sitting in your office and you're you're deciding who has to do what by when and you're assigning tasks or or whatever. And the belief that the uh, job is easier than it is and it won't take as long as you think it's going to take is a huge blind spot that shows disrespect for the people who are on the front line. One of the best things I think a leader can do is spend a little more time on the front line, spend a little more time rubbing elbows with the people who are actually doing the work 
not simply, you know, in meeting, you know, we know this, right? That the, the, the higher you go in an organization and the larger that organization is, the more talking you do. You sit around in meetings all day long and you talk. And there is this perception that talking is almost, is the same thing as doing. No, talking is not doing, right? And so we get this feeling that things get done easily. Uh, I think that's maybe, you know, one of the, one of the blind spots that uh, leaders can deal with for sure. <laughs> There's probably a whole lot more. So we're, yes. we're, we're, you're listening to, if you just happen by on Facebook, you're listening to and watching the nonprofit exchange. We, for almost seven and a half years, have interviewed fascinating people on multiple topics. The foundation is leadership. And today we're talking to Dan Rockwell. And Dan has a really prolific blog. He just writes a lot of stuff. There's a picture of a handsome dude. It's leadershipfreak.blog, leadershipfreak.blog. And um, um, he, uh, don't erase a good compliment <laughs> with a stupid butt. Uh, I got a good friend that wrote a, a book, Get Off Your Butts, B-U-T. You know, but this, but that. So what is your your inspiration? I mean, you you turn out quality stuff on a regular basis. So what is your inspiration um, to think of new things constantly? How long have you been doing this, by the way? Um, 10 or 11 years. Do you ever run dry? How do you get inspiration? Yeah. So this is a great question, uh, Hugh, and people frequently ask me, you know, how do you write? Uh, you know, I write five days a week now. I've written seven days a week before, uh, but I'm writing five days a week. And, uh, you know, how do you write five days a week? And where does all this come from? And uh, first of all, I just screwed up a lot in my life. And I'm you know, you, uh, you make a lot of mistakes and then you, you learn a few things. So part of where Leadership Freak comes from is uh, I'm solving my own problems and I continue to solve my own problems. But here's something I think that's really useful for leaders. And I think it goes beyond just me writing Leadership Freak. And that is, if you wanna pour a lot out of your life, you have to pour a lot into your life. And this is a real issue with leaders. They, you know, they're burning the candle at both ends. They get, uh, you know, they get burned out, they get exhausted. That is because they weren't pouring enough into their lives. So the principle is this, if you wanna serve a lot, you have to pour a lot into your life. If you wanna pour out a lot, you have to pour a lot into your life. I always know when the ratio of pouring out is too high because I run dry. If I, uh, if I am pouring enough into my life, then I am able to, I have more to say than, you know, than five days a week. Um, uh, you know, I, uh, the, the blog post that you brought up about seven things you learn, you step in crap. Well, there was a lot more to that post, but I set a limit of 300 words, you know, and so I didn't publish the whole thing. I, you know, just had to cut things down as much as possible. And, uh, so there's a lot, I'm, I, uh, the answer to the question of where does it come from? I'm pouring a lot into my life early on. And this will help, I, I hope will help your audience as well. First of all, just the principle, pour a lot in if you wanna pour a lot out. Um, and people, oh my, you know, we have to have people in our lives. They make us richer. 
So right before our call, I had a conversation with a fellow by the name of Lou Burgess. And uh, they sent me this book, his book. This is not coming out until June, but they sent me his book, Wanting. This is life-changing for me. So, and it's not unusual for me to have these conversations with people who are smarter than me and done, you know, so talented and gifted, you know, it's not, it's not difficult to find people like that to have conversations with. So when you think about, ah, Dan, I, I, uh, how do you, how do you do, how do you do all of this? Pour stuff in your life. It's books, it's mentors, it's, it's people that you can have conversations with. It's quiet time. I mean, seriously, uh, you know, how do you, how do you do this? You have to have quiet time. So there's this little light back here in my office. I keep the blinds completely closed all in the morning. The lights are off. I see nothing. I just have this little light on. I'm small. I'm quiet. It's out of the quiet that we find strength. It's out of the quiet that we find like ideas that, uh, you know, that sometimes are surprising. Right? I'll start writing something and I'll, and, and I'll, come, up, I'll come upon an idea and I'll think, wow, that's good. <laughs> you know what I mean? I like it. It's like, holy cow, you know, and it's not like I plan to write it. But uh, so there's, uh, there, there needs to be some quiet, there needs to be smallness in life as well. You can tell I have a lot I could say about this because people often ask about it. Well, I, that the burnout is, is really high with clergy and nonprofit leaders, higher, higher with clergy. And there's, there's a number of, of roads that lead us to burnout and not having this, this quiet space, this time for regeneration, fun, relaxation, even time to think is so valuable. I, I have to put time on my calendar. We, we tend to want to put, had a conversation with my wife who's clergy and works with uh, lots of clergy in the district from the district office. So lots of calls, lots of people to talk to. And the danger, especially now that we're home and doing everything on Zoom is just putting things back to back. The black hole is now the Zoom. And so my practice is to schedule now. The now is when we're actually talking and then to have the, the buffer. So I do 25 minute to 50 minute sessions. So I have a buffer in between. That's just walking around time. But I also need to put down thinking time, time to catch up with everything I promised in all those calls. So we don't give ourselves the grace of giving ourselves the space. I want to come back and talk more about burnout and, and what leads there. I want to do a, a, a commercial. It's for one of our sponsors. Um, we publish Nonprofit Performance 360 magazine, and it's it's targeted to it's strictly leadership articles. And I have a hunch that you will see uh, uh, some writing with from Dan Rockwell in future issues. Um, it comes in a in an envelope like this, and it comes with your name on it and a copy of the magazine, and then this little code here lets us know that you've got it from the post office. So if, if you have a company and you wanna connect with a nonprofit audience, we can target specific demographic or psychographic. So you could deliver your message directly to a targeted audience with your offer inside the envelope on top of the magazine, your, your ad in the magazine, but your offer would also have a QR code and a business reply card. So people could respond directly to you. 
if you want access to that market, then our sponsor is WordSprint. WordSprint helps us define marketing programs, top of mind marketing. We stay in touch with our tribe with consistent messaging to the right person in the right rhythm. So you could ride on our reputation. Our open rate for the mail is very, very high. Our response rate is alarmingly high because we always deliver content right into people's hands. So Hugh at centervisionleadership.org is how you get a hold of me. And that's on anything you see here. If you're watching the, uh, the podcast on the web or you're, you're watching it on YouTube or you're listening to it on the podcast, then the email is right there respond to me and we can talk about how you can give more prominence to your brand by associating with the brand that we have. If you want this program for your entity, wordsprint.com. Bill Gilmer and his team have been doing this 20 years with 20, 20 and a half million campaigns. They know that it's about relationship and maintaining relationship with your tribe. Wordsprint.com is one of our primary sponsors. So, the, the myths of I got to work until I drop, the myths that I've got to do everything myself because I have to be willing to do what I ask other people to do. So what are some of the pathways that lead leaders, especially in the sector we're talking about, nonprofit leaders and clergy, the burnout rate is high. So what are some of the pathways that we need to be aware of and that we can stop getting to that burnout phase? Well, you mentioned, I think, something that's really important and people are terrified of, and that is how you manage your schedule, right? So uh, you mentioned 50-minute hours, and uh, I'm a huge fan of this, right? Do not, you know, don't, don't schedule, you know, back to back to back to back. So put the, you know, 50-minute hour, that's, that's, that's good. I think the way we see ourselves is the way we see the world. And so if we see ourselves as the solution, as, as the answer, as whatever, I think we put a lot of pressure on ourselves to always be there, always be available. And uh, it, it, it's not just a nonprofit world. In the uh, for-profit world, leaders find it difficult to walk away. They find it difficult to go home at the end of the day. There's one more, you know, one more thing, one more thing. We got to do this. We got to do that. So um, learning to trust people. And this is so interesting, I think, that I, burnout is sometimes a symptom of lack of trust. I cannot trust anybody else. So I have to, you know, I have to do everything. And uh, this, this is a, you know, I'm, I'm talking, you know, I'm, I'm coaching leaders who are in the, in the for-profit world. And, uh, you know, I had a leader just two days ago I said, what's preventing you from going home? He's working two to four hours longer than he needs to work every day. I said, what's preventing you from going home on time? And he had the chutzpah to finally say, I can't trust people. I have a trust issue. See, and he, he's going to burn out. And we think, oh, he's burned out because he's overworked. Well, he's overworked because he can't trust people to do something. You know, so, so uh, scheduling is a big factor in, in dealing with burnout and, 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 and you, you know, I think you're a genius on that as how you do that. And then uh, learning to trust people is another, oh, I want to, if I could, I just want to go back and, you know, how I'm doing my schedule. Uh, so if you called me for an appointment, I'd open up my calendar and I would look. 
And I have a certain goal, don't tell anybody this, but I, I want to have as many open days as possible. I am not impressed with myself when I see, you know, a calendar full of appointments. I don't think, oh my, you're so important. No, I think you're an idiot. Why are you doing this, right? So I, I, have, a, I have a goal that Monday, I don't have any appointments. Now, I can't always keep it, but I do have a goal. And I also have a goal that Friday is the same way. I don't have any appointments. And if I do, I try to schedule them early and have them done. Uh, but here's a scheduling tip. When someone called you for an appointment and you open up your calendar and you see that you have three hours open on Tuesday and you have this other spot over here open, do not schedule it on Tuesday. Protect that time. I would personally, I would rather go three or four appointments in a row, 50 minutes, not like right up to the top of the hour. I would rather go three or four appointments in a row and protect a morning or afternoon than stick that in there and, and then disrupt what could have been time for reflection, time to read, time to walk, whatever it is. So I think one of the mistakes we make when we schedule is we look for open time. No, protect your open time as much as you can. That's just, you know, that, uh, for me, that, that's been working. Well, there's a certain amount of um, energy, a rhythm of boom, boom, boom. You got several things in the, I get in, I'm an extrovert, duh. Um, so I generate energy with people. So I've got the next one and the next one. And it's so important to have some downtime so um, respond, some of my, I want to ask you about your favorite leadership quotes, but I want to give you a few, see, let you respond to them. Jim Rohn, work harder on yourself than you do on your business. Yeah, what a fantastic quote. I know a few leaders like this who are, so, are committed to personal development and they understand that the organization is not going to grow beyond them. And so they, you know, they hire coaches, they go to training, they take time for themselves, they read books, right? They do all of these things that help them develop themselves. That's such a great quote, isn't it? I love it. I love it. Quote, and the, the best people were always in the front row in his speeches. And he'd point that out. Yeah. Um, how about James Allen? Um, people want to change their circumstances, but are unwilling to change themselves. They therefore remain bound. Yes, this speaks to me about desire. This speaks to me about what does a person desire? And if we want to change, see people change, and I, I was almost said, if we want to change people, and that would be dumb, you know, because we don't change people, people change themselves. And people do change, all right? This idea that people don't change, that's, that's malarkey. People do change. And if we want to help people change themselves, I think we speak to desire. And what do you desire? What's that quote about, uh, um, you know, if you, if you want people to go to sea, right? What's that quote where uh, don't, don't, teach them how to, uh, don't teach them how to build boats and, you know, cut wood. Teach them how to, how to long for the sea. And, and then they'll build boats. And, and so I really think uh, change, personal change and organizational change, uh, it has a has a flame under it of desire. Where does the desire come from? And how do we fuel desire? And how do we see desire? 
How about one from Father Richard Rohr, Franciscan? He says, um, how we do anything is how we do everything. Wow. Yeah, I've never heard that one before. So that's a great one. So how we do anything is how we do everything. Is this about patterns? Is this about uh, ways of seeing ourselves and ways of seeing the world where we fall into patterns? Is that what that is? I think it's about people want to behave like clergy want to behave one way in the pulpit, but then do something different in private life. It's about people in a, in a professional situation pretending to be professional, but they misbehave in their private life. And so I think it's, it's, we're going to be consistent whether we like it or not. So if we try to lie, we're going to give away ourselves. Ah, fascinating. Great quote. Yeah. He also says transformed people transform people. Mm. Well, there, those are a few of my favorites. Let's, let's switch to, you got a bunch of books back there. Um, and you've, uh, I'm going to share my screen one more time for those who are on video. If you're not, we'll, um, we'll uh, have some shots on the website. They're, they're, um, you compile your writings, which is a great efficient way that you've already writing. So you put them into complete work. So you've got collections, leadership, freak.blog on the resources page. So talk about what people find here. These must be PDFs. They're, yes, $3.99. They're really inexpensive. So you have a lot of stuff that's free or low cost. So what's your inspiration and why should people have these? Uh, th those are uh, really, I'm selling convenience is what I'm selling, you know, so you, everything in there is, uh, has already been written. But I, I did put all everything together for like teams building uh, vibrant teams. I put several, you know, lots of different articles together on teams. Uh, but several of those are uh, simply uh, 30 days worth, and they're cat they're categorized. You're buying convenience. They're categorized by a topic. So during a given month, I would have uh, not necessarily intentionally, but I I would have written on five or six topics. And so I collect them all up and organize them by topics. So I, I, um, I read the work of um, G.K. Chesterton. He must, be, must have had a personality like um, Churchill, um, who I think said the illusion with communication is that it has actually happened. Um, but, but Chesterton said, I do believe in Christianity. And my impression is that a system must be divine, which has survived so much insane mismanagement. So, so it's like uh, Bill Gates had the successor um, that even as bad as he was, it didn't destroy Microsoft. You know, it was just totally incapable as a leader. So the organization had so much energy, the leader couldn't destroy it. But that's not always true. The leader can, can lead us into a downward spiral. So if you're working in an organization and you're working for somebody that's really leading the wrong way, is there any option except to leave? Wow. So we're thinking now about influencing up, right? We're thinking about, you know, managing up, influencing the leader. And in some cases, I mean, some leaders are so hard-headed that they, they, it's a lost cause. Uh, I suppose that's not a very good thing to say, but uh, you know, the bigger the personality, the harder it is to crack the nut, right? So it's like they, they, they don't pay attention. But I think there are some, one, if you're in a downward spiral sort of situation, you have a sphere of influence, 
use it. So maybe you lead a small team, maybe you lead a, you're leading a project. So I would say, first of all, if you wanna change the downward spiral to an upward spiral, focus on the people who are immediately around you. You may not get to the boss or the pastor or the, the leader of the organization. And, and simple ways to do that would be begin the meeting by saying, uh, uh, let's talk about wins. Where are we winning? And uh, I'll give you another one. So uh, years ago, the first company I was asked to work with, they called me. They thought I was going to come in and you know wave a magic wand over there and solve their issues. And uh, we all know that's not the case. So anyway, they called me and I came in. They said, Dan, you know, we have a dark culture. Things are sad around here. And, uh, I, you know, we had we spent some time together. I said, what would you like to do about that? And uh, they made a simple plan that I have shared ever since. So they started asking. They said, we're going to when we're walking down the hall, when we're getting coffee, when we're, you know, just having casual conversation, we're going to start asking people what's working what's working. So I went back a month later. I said, what are you learning? And they said, here's what we're learning. We've had people in our organization for 10 years, 12 years, 15 years. This is what they're telling us. We've worked here for 10 years. No one has ever asked us what's working. Because we have a problem-centric approach. Um, bad is stronger than good by about four to one, five to one. And when I say bad is stronger than good, I don't mean morally bad, you know, versus moral good. I just mean a bad experience is stronger than a good experience of equal intensity. And the ratio is astounding. So an organization, if you don't know this, you start to talk about problems. Those problems get an inflated value Right, it's a, it's it's. A, what did Daniel Kahneman say? Nothing is as important as you think it is while you are thinking about it. So you talk about problems, you're thinking about problems. They become more important. They they become heavier than they really need to be. Uh, so it, it, we need to know this as leaders. There there is a tendency to focus on problems, and so if you want to shift the trajectory of an organization. You have to shift the things that are being focused on. You, you don't worry. Problems will find you. I'm not saying ignore problems. All I'm saying is what we got to bring into the mix is we need to bring in uh, conversations that uh, turn the culture toward a forward movement that talk about wins, that talk about what's working, that talk about strengths. I have set, I have been at conference tables with uh, you know, high level leaders in organizations and I have them do an exercise. I'll ask them uh, to say to, I'll, I'll say, hey, there's Billy Bob over there and everybody, you know, two or three of you are gonna say, when I see you at your best, I see you and you're gonna fill the sentence out. When I see you at your best, I see you. And honest to goodness, we'll go around the table. I have seen corporate leaders with tears in their eyes because we don't do this in organizations. We are so focused on what's wrong with people and how they need to be better and what's wrong in the organization that we miss the whole point of uh, leadership is not just going with the flow, right? Leadership is creating a flow. And in this case, what I'm uh, you know, suggesting is if, if we have darkness, if you have a dark leader, if you have you know, sadness in an organization, 
start influencing where you are, shift the conversation from, uh, I shouldn't say shift because it sounds like you're not gonna talk about what isn't working. Add to the conversation, healthy doses of what's working. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, so we're, we're having conversations. I mean, the topic is uh, conversations that build culture and fuel performance. And everything we've talked about today is the, the leader's duty and delight to be that inspiration, um, that influence uh, on the culture. Because people do look to us, even if they don't tell us, we are influencing people uh, in everything we do. So Dan, who, who um, in the leadership world has been an influence on your learning and your life over the years? Yeah, lots of people. Um, you know, we're, we'll talk about living leaders. And, and uh, I suppose early on, uh, Doug Conant, who was the CEO of Campbell's Soup, asked me uh, to lunch. And he has an office in Philadelphia, and, uh, and I live in central Pennsylvania. It was about two and a half hours. I don't know if he knew that it was that far. But I didn't care. I was glad to meet him. He's humble. He's uh, uh, compassionate with people. He has this saying, you know, be tough on standards, be tender with people. Uh, he's had a big, you know, he has an influence on me. The, the people that I talk with, uh, you know, in, it, it, it seems like everybody has an influence on me. You know, here's the, here's the I was telling you about the, 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 the former CEO of Campbell Soup. He's written a book called The Heart of Leadership. And that, you know, that he has influenced me and the way he has uh, uh, this uh, ability to listen. And uh, Lou Burgess in his book, One, he's influenced me um, uh, in, in a profound way. Stan Endicott, who founded Slingshot, it's a Christian search company, right? I saw Stan Endicott say on a video to a young fellow who was playing the guitar, he said, how did, when did that guitar become so comfortable in your hands? And I thought to myself, I want to be like that. You know, so he's had an influence on me too. It's just, it's, the list is so long. And you got books behind you. Do you have a favorite book or two to, besides the one you just highlighted? Yeah, uh, usually my favorite book is the one I'm reading. Uh, but not always, but, <laughs> but often it is. Uh, and when people ask me about book recommendations, I suggest The Leadership Challenge by Kuzis and Posner. I already mentioned it. They, uh, they uh, distill leadership into five functions, model the way, inspire shared vision, challenge the process, enable behaviors, and encourage the heart. So they kind of give a framework for leadership. If you haven't read it, it's, uh, it's useful. And uh, they're, they're also humble, really smart people too. There's a whole lot of really smart people in the world, um, if you look for them. <laughs> so um, we get, what's a good, good pattern for leaders to focus on now that we're hopefully coming out of this, uh, this time of seclusion? Now, some of us like it. I'm, I'm, I'm a reformed extrovert. I, you know, I'm, in, I'm enjoying my introvert time. Um, but I've, I've heard people say, oh, we need to pivot. Well, it's not really pivoting. And it's, there's no new normal. There's no old normal. Uh, I like to say there's a, a radical new paradigm for leading. So what is, what is your suggestion that leaders think about and embrace for leading in the future? 
Yeah, um, I'm gonna uh, say, choose your admirations carefully. Uh, admiration forms aspiration. So I admire this leader, I admire that leader. I'm getting inspiration from, um, you know, such and such or so and so. And so moving forward I mean, is part, you know, you can say, oh, control your schedule or, uh, you know, you can take quiet time or what, you know, there's all of those things are important. But I think one of the most impactful things we can do as leaders is to intentionally notice our admirations and in particular, choose our admirations. Who are we admiring? Because admiration forms aspiration. Hmm. Hmm. So I like to say that the foundation of leadership is relationship. Hmm. And one of the leadership methodologies I embrace, transformational leadership is so, so consistent with the conductor transforming cultures and leading by the vision and modeling, but also the work of Murray Bowen, a psychiatrist. And, uh, He's known to have said that which is created in relationship can be fixed in relationship. Mm. So we tend to want to give up with people rather than continuing being in relationships. So talk about the relationship and leadership and how essential those two partners are. Yeah, I've, I've, I've been very slow coming to the party on this. And that's one of the things I would say to my younger self is you need to have uh, relationships with people people who are outside your sphere, people who are inside your organization. Yeah, results come through relationships. We don't have to choose results or relationships. We think about re results through relationships and it's everything. The customers that I have ongoing relation, that I have ongoing relationships with, those are the people I keep doing work with. But it started with the relationships and then they kept coming back to me. Um, I, th I think influence, you know, you want to influence people, the people you are in relationship with are more uh, likely to be influenced by us than the people who see us from a distance. It's a powerful idea. It is, it is, it is. So um, we're coming up the last few minutes of the, um, the um, interview. Um, I want to ask you about managing your own energy and then how do you, um, fuel energy and others that that are in your spheres of influence yeah so uh, just real quick on that um, i think knowing your rhythms is important so i'm a morning person and so i'm going to do the the hardest work the most important work when i'm at my best so manage your energy by knowing your rhythms of energy are you a night person are you an afternoon person maybe it's from three to six whenever it is know that um, I think uh, other people's energy is so powerful too. How do we manage other people's energy? So I sometimes will have leaders do a chart of their own people, like uh, every hour, just when do you see them at their best? When, do you, when are they really seem to be most vibrant? When do they seem to be most productive? And keep that for a week and then go talk to them about that so that they can also see when are you at your best and how, what, what, why is that important to you? And let's face it, come around one o'clock for me, one o'clock in the afternoon, I'm not going to do anything productive. I'll probably concentrate for 15 minutes or at the most. And, you know, then I'm going to start chasing squirrels and rabbits. 
right? I need, you know, and then later on, you know, five o'clock or so, boom, I'm, I'm, I come to life. Really? Yeah. Wow. 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 So I'm going to do one more sponsor moment, then I'm going to come back to you for a wrap. And, you know, what do, what do you want to leave people with a thought or um, um, a challenge to do something? But um, our, our sponsor is ourselves. Cinevision has this online community for people working in communities, building communities, whether you're running a church or a community foundation or a timber commerce or cause-based charity, or you're an educator, uh, we're doing worthy work. And like we talked about today, you are the influencer, you're the driver, nothing happens without leadership. And better, thing ha better things happen if you're constantly working on your own set of skills. So if you go to nonprofitcommunity.org, nonprofitcommunity.org. Here's this community of like-minded people that are focused on bringing value to others. Nonprofitcommunity.org. It'll take you there. So Dan, this has been a lot of really good sound bites, a lot of good stuff. We can't begin to scratch the surface of your extensive knowledge. So I want to direct people back to Leadership Freak dot blog and just read his stuff get on this list i get your emails five days a week and it's always worth reading what do you want to leave people with today i think it depends on the day but today i'm thinking about uh just saying you know we we need to know we matter and uh you know it's we're more powerful than we give ourselves credit so the people around us, they may be, you know, we have the, uh, we have the ability to encourage them. We have the ability to demotivate them. And so uh, know you matter uh, and, and, and kind of uh, walk around, not like arrogant. I don't mean that. I just mean uh, the, you have a place and you have uh, the opportunity to influence people. Um, and, and so have, have that kind of confidence, not arrogance, but confidence. Well-spoken words, um, Dan Rockwell. Thank you for your time today. Thank you for sharing your inspiration with our audience. Yes, thank you. I so appreciate the opportunity, Hugh. Thank you. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.